What key issues should advertisers and agencies be aware of when negotiating new master agency agreements or reviewing existing contracts? I'm Po Yi, a partner in Manat's advertising, marketing, and media practice, and this is Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. Today, I'm joined by Steve Bowler, founder and partner of Mercer Island Group. Steve and I have known each other for some years now. We worked together in the past in assisting advertisers navigate the complexities of negotiating agreements with various agencies. It's always great to have Steve work with me, where Steve was providing business insights into the industry, and I was helping with the transactional side. So for this episode, I thought it'd be great to invite him to talk with me about agency-client relationships. Steve, welcome to our podcast. Before we begin, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your company and what your role is in facilitating client agency negotiations. Sure. Thank you, Poe. I'm so delighted to be here. Uh, My firm is a 30-year-old marketing consulting firm. We're headquartered in the Seattle area. We're a boutique firm, but we do work globally. Most of our clients are large, uh, either mid-market or Fortune 500 type firms. We have three practice areas. It's an interesting mix. We, we work in strategic consulting. We work in organizational effectiveness. And we have this strange third practice area that uh, we call client agency relationship management. And it involves everything you'd expect when it comes to clients and their agencies and how the, the two parties work together. I think we, we end up having this relatively unique point of view that benefits both clients and agencies in that we work every day with C-suites and every day with agency leaders. And so we have this really unique perspective that comes from spending time with senior leadership in both types of C-suites. We, in that, that whole client agency relationship area, we do a wide range of work with our clients. We, we of course, conduct searches and reviews. We handle negotiations. We lead what we would call 360s, which are annual performance assessments, where the client and the agency each evaluate each other. We do relationship repair work, uh, and we help agencies with their positioning and their pitch planning and uh, their growth strategies. Lots going on, and we're delighted to talk to you today about how important MSAs are and having sound counsel is to getting to an effective relationship. So in your extensive experience working with advertisers and agencies, what are some of the key factors and dynamics that tend to engender a collaborative and constructive relationship? That's a fabulous question. I I think the relationship has to be built on trust and it takes a great deal of work between an agency and a client to both set a foundation of trust as well as then to maintain that trust throughout the relationship. Uh, There's this saying of watch what they do, not what they say. And so being able to build a foundation where there are a set of expectations about how the two parties will behave and then making sure that both parties live up to their behaviors, I think is really, really important. One of the ways that we are in a really lucky and unique position is that we have the data to answer your question. For example, because we conduct so many of these annual 360 performance assessments where we are interviewing agencies and interviewing clients about their relationships, about what's working, about what's not working, we actually have the data to tell both clients and agencies 
how to behave and what's really important. On the client side, the clients need their business issues solved. They're looking for performance and service from their agency. And, and to set the groundwork there, it's really important for there to be clarity in the contract and the scope of work about what kind of help they need and what the outcomes are that are expected. And so putting in the hard work to make sure that there's absolute clarity in what the agency's role is in helping the client succeed is really, really important. Following up on what you were saying about trust, I completely agree with you about trust and building trust and having trust is core to having a successful relationship. But while both parties and and the parties that really want to enter into the relationship do have a trust for each other, I think there are some hiccups along the way because despite their best efforts, there is a lack of transparency. How do companies deal with that? I think the most successful relationships are the ones that actually deal with that, whether they deal with it upfront as part of the contract process, or frankly, they're simply able to overcome contracts and scopes of work that aren't all that transparent in their behaviors by being transparent about the business and about how they go about their work. I think the starting place for me in a healthy relationship is a client that's crystal clear about the role the agency will play and recognizes that that agency is there really to support them and their business. And therefore, they're playing a really important role in the success of the business, the brand, and frankly, in their, their own careers. That's a sound starting place for a client. And most clients, I think, are there. They recognize that the only reason they're employing the agency is because there are outcomes that are really important, that the business really needs that kind of support. And I think on the agency side, agencies that view themselves as agents, sort of the textbook definition of the agent is somebody whose role is built around helping their clients succeed and that the best interests of the client are always forefront. That's what their focus is. If the agency brings that frame of reference and perspective to the relationship, then most things can be worked through. And most, you know, there's all relationships have challenges. But I think the trouble begins is if there's a bit of lack of clarity about why the agency is even there. Sometimes that'll happen because of a transition on the client side. Uh, Somebody will be working, uh, leading the agency relationship that didn't select the agency. The needs may be changing on the business. And there haven't been enough discussions with the agency to help the agency remain sort of up to date on what's really needed. Where changes to the business, to the people, to the systems, to the competitive situation, it's when change happens that where things really often can go wrong. That's um, absolutely true. One thing I do want to mention is sometimes it seems that both the client side and the agency side may not always be aware of the limitations of what each party does or can do or is supposed to be doing. What is your experience with with that kind of problem? Well, I think on the client side, one of the challenges that we see today is that clients don't often don't invest as much time in the relationship as they should. The life of a client is incredibly difficult, uh, like it is in most professions these days. A senior client leader is probably working 60 or 70 hours a week. They're always on. They go home to a family or their dog or to play golf. But at the end of the day, there just isn't much time to do anything other than to try to sort of keep their head above water. 
And because of that, they're cutting corners everywhere. They show up late for meetings. They leave meetings early. They double book meetings. And because of all of that, they are rarely giving the agency the, the time and care necessary for them to actually get the productivity and the effectiveness out of the relationship that they need. They're always assuming that they can bark out a few instructions and the agency will figure it out. What happens, especially in big companies, is that the other executives tasked with working with the agency often take on sort of the same persona as leadership. And so if the leaders aren't putting enough time into it, everyone else isn't putting enough time into it. And at the end of the day, what happens is the agency is not being briefed properly. They're not getting good guidance. They're not getting good feedback. It costs an extraordinary amount of money in waste to not partner appropriately like that with your agency. And the agency is going to be miserable and do bad work. The solution to all that, frankly, is that managing the agency has to be a priority. If you're going to spend all of this money on a third party to support your business, it, it simply makes no sense to not make the management of that relationship be a primary responsibility of the company and to build in practices and processes and policies that encourage really effective management of the agency, just like HR would attempt to try to do if you're managing an employee that there should be training, there should be appropriate communications processes in place, there should be feedback. And if clients do that, they almost always succeed. The challenge is that in the moment, it's so easy in the moment, we live in such a short-term world relative to Wall Street and stakeholder expectations, that it's really easy to shortchange these really important relationships because of how busy you are, because there's always a fire burning somewhere that needs senior executive attention. It's true that agencies oftentimes become an extension of a client's marketing department. Mm -hmm. And when that relationship is solid, I think it works very well for both parties. Um, I guess one thing that is different between having employees in your marketing department and an agencies as part of your you know, extension of your marketing department is that there is a contract that defines the relationship between the client and the agency. So how do marketing organizations think about agency contracts? They don't. When what I mean by that is they, they don't unless they absolutely have to. Now I'm going to separate out the highest performing companies, often the biggest advertisers. Typically, if you're, if you're a Procter & Gamble, if you're a Verizon, the biggest companies often have built-in safeguards, policies, practices, and the infrastructure devoted to things like MSAs and scopes of working and managing agency relationships. But most companies, most companies don't have repeatable processes and marketers are the last people you're going to find that want to look at a contract. Marketers like to market. The good ones are focused on the business. Not very many people that aren't attorneys want to sit down and read a 50-page document that's written in a foreign language, basically, <laughs> because it's written right, in legalese. And so, so this is not something that marketers ever think about unless they absolutely have to. And, and there are things that happen that, that cause them to think about the contract. But on a day-to-day -day basis, 
they don't know much about what's in the contract. They don't think it's important. By the way, now, now we go back to my earlier comments about how busy they are. On a day-to-day -day basis, what's in the contract hasn't boiled up to the level of needing their attention. And so they just go along until there's some kind of a triggering event that makes them look at the contract. So then what are those triggers? What are those triggering events that um, cause companies to review their agency contracts and do RFPs? Sure. There's uh, a handful of these kinds of triggers that happen. I think often it, it's this simplistic, they're unhappy with their relationship with the, the agency for whatever reason. And, and so they're not, now they're trying to figure out, they probably go to the contract to see what is their escape clause, right? They want to know how do they get out of the contract or there's some kind of a disagreement over compensation or the other kinds of clients that the agency can work with. And so folks go to the contract to see what does it say in, what's in writing. They may be already going through a review when a, a review kicks off. Often someone in the client organization will take a look at the contract. The, the client's needs might change. They may have an, a media agency relationship, but all of a sudden they're changed their mix so significantly that they want to make sure that what the media agency is doing on their behalf is really well covered by their contract. And sometimes something really topical and newsworthy may happen just in the industry that is such a huge issue that they can't avoid hearing about it. And now they're sort of curious about what's going on in their contract. A good example of that would be when the ANA published their report on transparency a few years ago, many marketers actually went to look at their own contracts to see if their contracts were ironclad when it came to some really key items of transparency was their agency expected to be an agent? Was their agency able to be a principal relative to the media buying decision? There are a lot of nuances that boil to the surface because of this major newsworthy event that for the most part caused more people in marketing services to look at their contracts within a couple month period probably than ever in the history of mankind because it was so topical. But for the most part, some, there is the something changes and it triggers the look and something about it for the most part has to change usually to trigger a look at the contracts because as I was mentioning earlier, everybody's working 70 hours a week already. They have full-time jobs. And so these activities that are sort of one-offs, like I should look at my contract and make sure it's okay simply never make it high enough on the to-do list that it gets done. That's really interesting. In order for agency contracts to be able to work when times are changing, I think it's really critical then to have contracts that are really flexible so that you don't necessarily have to be looking at the contract and constantly making amendments. Yeah, flexibility is really important. And, and flexibility starts, I think, before the contract. It starts with a relationship that is based on sort of a win-win solution where the, the client knows that they have a business problem that they need help with. It's more than the agencies there to just do specific tasks, that they're sort of in it together to support the business. 
And if the agency is, has a similar focus, that their role, the only, the only reason they're on the playing field, that they're getting paid, that they even have a contract, is because the client needs something to happen for their business. If they have that sort of mutual set of expectations that the relationship is all about driving the business, then when things happen, that when things change in the business, that might force a change in a scope of work, or maybe even force a change in how a contract is written, then presumably and hopefully there's the energy, there's positive energy about making those kinds of changes and being flexible. Where, where inflexibility often sets in, in my experience, is because there's simply a different set of expectations, that people are expecting something different out of the relationship. Often it could be something related to compensation. Those are difficult hills to climb once the contract is in place. Again, it's really important to try to have some mutually agreed set of expectations going into the contract and to have transparency so that we can avoid surprises throughout the life of the relationship so that the relationship remains strong. The other thing I would suggest is I think it's really important. We advise our clients to have an annual cadence of feedback for their agencies that ranges from how they give feedback on a day-to-day basis to what do they do every month, to what do they do every quarter, to what they do every year. So there's a real plan in place that forces appropriate communications. I really encourage clients as part of that kind of cadence of communication to make sure that they are constantly updating their agency partners on what their expectations are regarding the agency, the agency's performance, the business itself, the business's needs. And as an extrapolation of all of that, what might that mean to the technical aspects of their relationship so that agencies know with some lead time that things might be changing? The agency may know that contract that's in place is not going to be the right contract for the future, and not because either the agency or the client failed previously, but because of the nature of the relationship is changing and they need to get to some kind of a different place. And by working that issue together and not on the clock, if you will, not, not making it an urgent issue, but proper lead times, making sure people work through it together so that the expectations are agreed upon, they're mutual, and that both parties can win in the new relationship, then you, you can eliminate an awful lot of angst and an awful lot of turmoil. And, and you'll see, I, I think in a lot of my comments, what you're going to hear is that most of the responsibility for being a good client goes back to the client. Good clients get good relationships. Good clients maintain long-term relationships. Good clients get good work from their agencies. Good clients, for the most part, usually have pretty good contracts. They have pretty good (laughs) scopes of work, and they have happy agencies. And usually if the opposite is true, if the agency's unhappy, if the contract is messed up, if the, the work isn't good, usually the client has had a hand in all of that. And on the contract side, it may be as simple as they didn't pay attention or they didn't hire Poe to help them with their contract, right? There's a lot of ways that they can get there, and some of them are innocent. But for the most part, we really think the responsibility for these great long-term relationships, it may be 50-50 in theory, but it's really more like 51-49 where the client has a greater responsibility for making it work. Well, understanding that clients have very little time to be thinking about agency contracts. Once the contract is done, they don't want to have to think about it and they just want to run with it. But what should a marketer do to stay current with their 
services contracts. Um, there are definitely issues that clients should be keeping abreast of. Yep, that's a really good question. I, I think number one, they should hire a POE. Mm-hmm. I think number two, of course, the large firms often have the right people in place. Most firms don't. Most firms have a very competent legal counsel. Marketing services is such a bizarrely specialized area. And even within marketing services, areas like media are so continually evolving, incredibly complex areas that you really need some specialist support, whether it comes from inside the the organization or outside. I think one way to stay on top of this at a minimum, the absolute minimum starting point, I think, would be to have someone in the organization make sure that they attend the Association of National Advertisers annual conference on advertising law. So they have some sense of what's going on because the speakers are talk about things that are topical, things that client probably hadn't even thought of. So I think building in some small ways to sort of keep at least half an eye and half an ear open about what may be changing is really important. I also think, frankly, that a senior marketer that's responsible for these kinds of relationships and their senior counsel that's responsible for the legal part of the relationship, I think both parties should always walk around with a starter list of special clauses in mind for their marketing services contracts. And because it's so impossible to stay current anyway, but at least it points you in the right direction. So we don't give legal counsel, but we do give a lot of subject matter expertise advice about how to think about the relationships that clients and agencies have. I have a starter list of things that should be in any specialized marketing services contract. Of course, it, it, it has this simple stuff like the term and the exit clauses But then it has stuff that's often a little more specialized for marketing services, like what is the non-compete clause? How are the proprietary rights clauses written? The IP stuff. If it's an advertising contract, does it adequately cover issues like talent and reuse? If it's a media contract, what does it say about data ownership? So there's just a series of clauses that I have sort of tucked in the back of my mind that I'm looking for when I'm scanning, skimming, and I'm, I'm only going to skim these contracts anyway, because again, it's written in language that's highly specialized. That's a nice way of saying it and not terribly fun reading, but I'm looking for that stuff to see if it's there so that I can simply help alert people. And I think that a sound practice for senior clients is to simply have their list in mind, whatever that list is. And, but when it gets to the brass tacks of things, staying current. I really believe unless you are working in an extraordinary large company that can afford to have a truly exceptional specialist attorney on staff that knows marketing services, they really need a close relationship with a firm like yours, Poe. So somebody else is whose job it is to stay current is staying current. And that person, by virtue of being a support function of the company, it's their job to make sure that things stay current. Well, you talked about having this uh, list when you're looking at contracts and when you're helping clients. So what's on top of your list for 2021? That's a a good question. I think the top of my list for 2021 is the same thing on the top of the list since late 2016, (laughs) which is the the media industry. The media industry has continued to change faster than most other parts of marketing services. 
there continues to be change regarding data, regarding how programmatic purchases are made. There continues to be a large chunk of money that's unaccounted for in digital advertising. And so I think until something changes there where there's greater clarity, the media issues will continue to be top of the list. The second area relates to social advertising, social and organic posts and influencers. And how do companies insulate themselves from bad influencer behavior? How do companies make sure that they aren't putting themselves at risk with their target audiences regarding how influencers behave and what that advertiser-influencer relationship is like? There's a whole series of potential issues that some of which have blown up already, some of which undoubtedly will blow up in the future that I think are really important so that advertisers don't create a situation where they're losing trust with their audiences. Well, thank you, Steve, for this discussion and for your really insightful comments. I'd like to ask you for a couple of practice tips for advertisers and agencies that are about to enter into a new relationship. An advertiser that's going to enter into a new relationship with an agency, I believe should do three or four things in the planning phase to make sure that the process works smoothly. I think the first thing is to make sure that they have sound counsel, whether that is in-house or external. They need, they need counsel that are experts in marketing services and the advertising space. We just went through a, a search with a nice mid-sized company, national brand, and we had a heck of a time getting to the right contract that really protected our client because they use their local firm. It's a big firm, but they simply don't have a big practice area supporting marketing services. And so a lot of the issues that would be second nature to a firm like yours were not second nature to that firm. And so it was Having the right counsel, I think, is really important. I think the, the second thing is have that list handy. You know, do enough homework, enough research. It's not hard. Call me, email me, I'll send you a list. The topics that should be covered in, in a contract so that the, the client can take a quick look at their own or at the agency's contract and know what's covered and what's not. I think the third thing they ought to do is review their MSA before they get too far into the review, their own MSA. Clean it up, modernize it. I think the fourth thing that I would do is to, if you can at all avoid it, unless you're a very small firm, avoid using the agency's MSA. The agency's MSA was written for the agency. It was written by really smart people like Poe. It's written to protect the agency. Now, good ones do certainly have fine bilateral provisions in them, but still, if the people paying the bill for the lawyer are agency people, it's going to have a, a skew towards the agency's right. So you want to make sure that you have your own sound MSA, if at all possible. And I think the final thing I would encourage doing is to building it, build in a redlining exercise as part of the review. And by that, I mean, once you have a sound MSA yourself, make sure that the finalist agencies, as part of their pitch process, have to redline that MSA before they give their final presentation. That helps to sort of identify how hard it will be to get to an advertiser-friendly agreement early in the process and not after you've chosen the agency. Thank you for joining us once again on Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. And thank you, Steve, for contributing your time and expertise. Listeners, the Perfect Balance team wants to hear from you. 
This summer, we will launch our first mailbag episode in which Monad attorneys will respond to questions submitted by you, our audience. Stay tuned for updates and a submission form and check the related resources listed in this episode's caption for Steve's contact information and our past coverage of related issues. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The views expressed on the podcast reflect the personal views and opinions of the participants and are not intended to constitute legal advice or counsel under any circumstance. Downloading and listening to this recording do not result in the formation of an attorney-client or other business relationship. You should not act on any information in the podcast without seeking the advice of a competent attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. 